the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is engineering and producing today's program. We're going to take a look at some of the day's headlines, but we'll also share a conversation with Rabbi Schneider. He's the author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. Well, as expected, Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina and U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, called for a new generation of leadership during her 2024 presidential campaign kickoff. Uh, She gave a speech today taking shots at the older generation of politicians in the White House and in Congress. We're ready to move past the stale ideas and faded names of the past And we're more than ready for a new generation to lead us into the future, she said. She's 51. She would offer a change in pace from 80-year-old President Joe Biden and 76-year-old former President Donald Trump. Trump is the only other candidate who has formally announced a 2024 bid. She later went on to add that today our enemies think that the American era has passed. They're wrong. America is not past our prime. Uh, It's just that our politicians are past theirs. Ouch. Well, the line was met with huge applause from the crowd in Charleston, South Carolina. Well, the former governor and former ambassador said we won't win the fight for the 21st century if we keep trusting politicians from the 20th century. Well, at the conclusion of her speech, uh, she said she sees an America where the permanent politician rather will finally retire calling for term limits in Congress and mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75. Well, the comments came one day after 89-year-old Senator Dianne Feinstein announced that she will retire at the end of her term. She's faced scrutiny in recent years about memory issues and possible mental decline and seemed confused about her own retirement announcement on Tuesday. When she was asked about the announcement by a reporter on Capitol Hill on Tuesday, just shortly after the announcement was made, The senator replied, well, I haven't made that decision. I haven't released anything. It would be my plan. You put out uh, the statement. I didn't know they put it out. Okay, so it is what it is, end quote. Well, Haley on Wednesday painted the new generation and herself as a path forward for the Republican Party, which she noted has lost the popular vote in seven out of the last eight presidential elections. So she sees herself as the... uh, Uh, The next face of the party. Our cause is right, she went on to say, but we have failed to win the confidence of a majority of Americans. Well, that ends today. If you're tired of losing, uh, then put your trust in a new generation. Well, Haley was sharply critical of Biden in her speech, saying America is falling behind and nobody embodies that failure more than Joe Biden. She cited a spate of issues facing the country, including inflation supply chain issues with baby formula, children lagging behind in the classroom, the prevalence of drugs on American streets, and a lack of police and Border Patrol agents. Joe Biden isn't even leading from behind. He's not leading at all, she said. 
On his watch, a terrorist mob conquered Afghanistan and killed our troops. Iran is on the brink of getting the bomb. North Korea is launching more missiles than ever. Russia started the biggest war in Europe in 75 years. Well, Haley, who is likely to focus her campaign on foreign policy issues after serving as the ambassador to the U.N. under the Trump administration, said China is the strongest and most disciplined enemy the U.S. has faced in its history. It is unthinkable that Americans would look at the sky and see a Chinese spy balloon looking back at us, she said, referring to the massive surveillance balloon that hovered above sensitive locations in Montana earlier this month before being shot down by the U.S. military off the Carolina coast. Well, Haley is the first Republican to jump into the race against Donald Trump, the former president, and would notch a number of firsts if she became the party's nominee. She would become the first woman and the first Asian-American to be the GOP nominee. She became the country's first female Asian-American governor when she was elected to lead South Carolina in 2010, when she left the governor's mansion to become the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations in 2017. She became the first Indian-American to serve in the cabinet. Take it from me, the first minority female governor in history. America is not a racist country, she said. She called out the president and vice president, Kamala Harris, for overseeing a self-loathing that has swept through the country. Every day we're told America is flawed, rotten and full of hate, she said. Joe and Kamala even say America is racist. Nothing could be further from the truth, end quote. Well, Haley is the first former Trump staffer to enter the race. Others believed to be weighing in on uh, running include the former uh, Vice President Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, and former National Security Advisor John Bolton. It is expected that the field won't be quite as crowded as last time around, but of course, we don't actually know. Well, former President Donald Trump couldn't help himself but weigh in. He says he's not worried about the prospect of facing some of his former cabinet members. The former president said he's glad that Nikki Haley is running for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination and said she should not be bound by her past promise not to run against him. In an exclusive interview from Fox News Digital, Trump acknowledged that many Republicans who once served in his administration or had been considered his allies could challenge him for the 2024 GOP nomination. But the former president who announced his 2024 campaign in November is encouraged that uh, competition uh, and told um, Fox News Digital, the more the merrier. I'm glad she's running, Trump said. I want her to follow her heart, even though she made a, a commitment that she would never run against uh who she called the greatest president of her time. She should do what she wants to do and not be bound by the fact that she said she would never do it. So sort of a backhand compliment, encouragement, expose on the part of the president. He hasn't yet come up with a nickname for her, but I'm guessing that will be uh, forthcoming in the not too distant future. Meanwhile, the People's Republic of China is denying reports the government has not cooperated with the World Health Organization's study into the origins of COVID-19. Well, according to a report published in Nature on Tuesday, the World Health Organization, or WHO, has unceremoniously canceled the second phase of its investigations into the origin of COVID-19 pandemic. The report cited key officials who, in the organization, claim that China has proved too uncooperative to conduct the intended studies. There is no phase two, who epidemiologist Maria van Kerkhove told the outlet. The politics across the world of this really uh, of this really hampered progress on understanding the origins, end quote. Well, Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs spokeswoman Wang Wenbin 
Uh, she pushed back on these assertions on Wednesday in a press conference in Beijing, saying China's position on the study of the origins of SARS-CoV-2 is consistent. Well, I think we could probably agree on that. Wang said when she asked uh, when asked rather about China's transparency with the World Health Organization, we always support and participate in science based global origins tracing. At the same time, we firmly oppose all forms of political manipulation, end quote. Well, the spokesman cited two previous envoys of the World Health Organization's scientists allowed into the country, claiming this demonstrated China was uh, open and transparent with the international community. China has shared more data and research findings on SARS-CoV-2 origin study than any other country, Wang said. This fully demonstrates China's open, transparent and responsible attitude and its support for the work of the World Health Organization and SAGO. China will continue to support science-based global origins, tracing, and keeping up communication and cooperation with WHO. Well, the first phase of the investigation began way back in 2020 when the team of World Health Organization scientists spent four weeks in China probing for evidence of the COVID-19 origin. Uh, This trip resulted in a report outlining four possible origins, with the most likely listed as a viral leap from bats to humans. That has since been downplayed or discredited. The World Health Organization scientists said in an exit briefing it is most likely that the coronavirus was initially transmitted via a jump from animal to human, perhaps starting with the bat associated with the Wuhan seafood market, which was an early hypothesis. From the time it was published, the World Health Organization report received intense skepticism. Wang shifted focus away from China during the press conference, claiming that more and more clues from the international science community are pointing the origins of SARS-CoV-2 to sources around the world. At uh, one point, at, at once, uh, Wang specifically uh, proposed a debunked theory of U.S. origins, saying many have raised questions and concerns about U.S. biomilitary bases in Fort Detrick and around the world. The WHO and SAGO should take a close look at these clues, effectively cooperate with these relevant countries, and share research findings with all parties in a timely way. Well, the uh, World Health Organization has canceled the second phase. Whether or not that will be reinstituted at some point remains to be seen. We'll keep you up to date. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Rabbi Schneider, author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. That's coming up in our second hour. Speaking of reconnaissance mission, the U.S. military struck down a possible Iranian-made drone after it was allegedly conducting surveillance. A Christian teacher has been fired for refusing to deceive parents on gender transitions in the school of their children. A new ground station, um, China boosts its surveillance with advanced satellite support from Antarctica. And one less toy, John Kerry appears to have sold his private jet after accusations of climate hypocrisy. Battle ready as Nikki Haley launched her 2024 presidential campaign. A potential GOP primary collision with Tim Scott awaits. Well, in a comment pushback, the State Department on Tuesday withdrew the nomination of an Ivy League professor who called then-candidate Joe Biden a senile gaffe machine and criticized other officials for their pro-Israeli views. John Cavallero was nominated last week to serve on the Inter-American Commission on Human Rights and the Organization of American States. But the State Department's link to that announcement no longer works. 
And spokesperson Ned Price told reporters Tuesday that the nomination was withdrawn after Cavallaro's past controversial tweets were discovered. Political overreaction? Well, the White House is being pressed on why President Biden sent top gun fighters to shoot down a suspected weather balloon or balloons, plural. Truth was on my side. Former director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, says he was vindicated by the truth Tuesday after his predecessor, James Clapper, claimed a letter he signed dismissing the Hunter Biden laptop story as Russian disinformation was deliberately distorted. Clapper, who served as director of national intelligence under former President Obama, said this week that Politico deliberately distorted an infamous letter signed in October of 2020 by him and more than 50 other ex-intelligence officials, which claimed that Hunter's laptop had all the classic airmarks of a Russian information operation. Ratcliffe, at the time, publicly rejected the letter's assertion, stressing that U.S. intelligence officials found no intelligence that supported the theory. But his rejection of the Russian narrative made him a target of liberal pundits and media outlets who spent months chastising him for contradicting others in the national security community. He has now been vindicated. Saying, get to know me, Tim Scott claps back at Whoopi Goldberg for saying she can't tell him apart from Rick Scott. Rick Scott is Caucasian. Tim Scott is African-American. Tim Scott is conservative. And of course, you're not allowed to be a conservative and an African-American. Disgusting. Twitter users hammer the New York Times for linking the Michigan State shooting to the school's past sex abuse scandal. And red threat. President Biden needs to prepare to respond to growing threats from China, critics say. Michigan State University gunman Anthony McRae, who shot and killed three people on campus Monday evening, was charged with a felony for carrying a concealed weapon without a license in 2019. But that count was later dropped after he pled guilty to a lesser misdemeanor charge for possession of a firearm in a vehicle, according to Ingham County court records. McRae opened fire inside an academic hall on the northern boundary of the campus in East Lansing shortly after 8 p.m. on Monday. He then walked a short distance to the student union and opened fire again, according to police. Three students were killed, five others critically wounded. McRae was found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound off campus after an hours-long manhunt. China is boosting its surveillance with advanced satellite support, as I mentioned, from Antarctica. And Senator Dianne Feinstein will not run for re-election in 2024, or at least we think she won't. The California senator, the oldest Democrat in the upper chamber, will not run for re-election, she announced Tuesday. First elected to the Senate in 1992, she was the first woman to chair the Intelligence Committee and the Rules Committee, and she also served as ranking member of the Judiciary Committee. Before running for Congress, she became the first female mayor of San Francisco following the assassination of George Mascone. The GOP has begun its investigation into the origins of COVID. House Republicans have asked former White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony to testify before Congress as they launch a new investigation into the origins of COVID-19, the pandemic. The GOP leaders of the Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic and Committee on Oversight and Accountability sent a letter to Fauci on Monday requesting a transcribed interview. Fauci said in November that he would cooperate with any oversight hearing in the Republican-led House. Many scientists, including Fauci, who until December served as Biden's chief medical advisor, say they still believe the virus most likely emerged in nature and jumped from animals to humans, a well-documented phenomenon known as the spillover event. 
Virus researchers have not publicly identified any key new scientific evidence that might make the lab leak hypothesis more likely. The MSU gunman was known for prior offenses with a gun. A criminal took a gun to a gun-free zone to commit this heinous act. The Wall Street Journal points out the police said the suspect, 43-year-old Anthony Dwayne McRae, had no affiliation with the university. He killed himself after being confronted by police a few hours after the shooting. McRae had pleaded guilty to a felony firearm charge in 2019. Two of the three students who were killed were identified on Tuesday as Brian Fraser, a sophomore from Gross Point, Michigan, Alexandria Verner, a junior from Clawson, Michigan. Five students were injured and remained hospitalized uh, Tuesday in critical condition. Julio Rosas writes that the mass shooting at MSU has once again prompted calls from Democrats and progressives for more gun control. MSU is a gun-free zone, with only police being allowed to carry firearms on campus. California lawmakers are targeting police canine units by calling for their removal because of racism. Dogs are now racist. ABC 10 reports that a new effort is underway to ban police from using police dogs to arrest or apprehend suspects. If passed, it would also ban police from using them for crowd control. The lawmaker behind the bill, newly elected Assembly member Corey Jackson, said that the use of police canines so, or uh, K-9s has been the backbone of this country's hist- uh, history of racial bias and violence against black Americans. Jackson said police canines were first used by slave catchers and are a violent carryover from America's dark past. Town Hall suggests that this is a ridiculous legislative push. Criminals on the run or being chased by police shouldn't be comfortable. All this bill would do is decrease public safety, and police dogs have an essential in various other law enforcement duties, not least being tasked with saving the lives of fellow officers. For the first time ever, U.S. adults will spend more time this year watching digital video on platforms such as Netflix, TikTok, and YouTube than viewing traditional television. That's according to Insider Intelligence. They forecast on Wednesday. In this historic first, the market tracker expects linear TV to account for less than half of daily viewing, dropping to under three hours while average digital uh, daily digital video watching climbs to 52.3% with three hours and 11 minutes a day. Well, this milestone is driven by people spending more and more time watching video on their biggest and smallest screens, whether it's an immersive drama or uh, on a connected TV or a vital uh, clip on a smartphone. Insider Intelligence Principal Analyst Paul Verna said in the release, given teenagers' preference for social And streaming video over TV, we can expect these trends to continue to shift in favor of digital. Netflix and YouTube are neck and neck. They're leaders when it comes to digital video audience attention, with U.S. adults tuning in for about 33 minutes daily on average at each platform. Live uh, sporting events becoming available on video streaming platforms is also helping power the shift away from traditional television, as is the the popularity of shared video clips on apps The market tracker said TikTok is a key driver with the average amount of time spent there daily by U.S. adults climbing sharply, according to insider intelligence. TikTok versus Netflix will be the major trend uh, to watch this year. The lines between social and entertainment have blurred and TikTok is uh, now coming for the bigger screen video players. TikTok CEO Xiao Ji Chu will testify in March before U.S. lawmakers in Washington 
where the Chinese social media app faces accusations that it is beholden to the Communist Party in Beijing. We'll continue to follow that story. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Rabbi Schneider, author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Well, the United States will default on its debt sometime this summer if Congress doesn't act and raise the $31.4 trillion debt limit, or at least negotiate some trade-offs the Congressional Budget Office projected on Wednesday. We project that if the debt limit remains unchanged, the government's ability to borrow using extraordinary measures will be exhausted between July and September of this year. That's a quote from the CBO director, Philip Swoggle, in a statement Earlier today, a report from the CBO released on Wednesday further stated currently the statutory limits on the issuance of new federal debt is set at thirty one point four trillion. On January 19th of this year, debt reached that limit and the Treasury announced a debt insurance or rather issuance suspension period during which. Under current law, it would uh, take well-established extraordinary measures to borrow additional funds without breaching the debt ceiling. CBO estimates that under its baseline budget projections, the Treasury would exhaust those measures and run out of cash sometime between July and September of this year. The Deficit Control Act requires CBO to to project spending, the office says. Well, teen girls have reached record levels of sadness. Axios reports that teen girls are experiencing record high levels of sadness and violence, according to a new report published Monday by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. According to the report, 57% of teen girls in 2021 reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless over the past year, up from 36% in 2011 and the highest rate seen in the last decade. By comparison, 29% of teen boys reported feeling persistently sad or hopeless in 2021, compared to 21% in 2011. About 30% of teen girls said that they have seriously considered attempting suicide, and that's up from 19% in 2011. The survey did not ask students about reasons for their feelings of sadness or thoughts of harming themselves. And while anxiety and depression increased among teens during the pandemic, the trends, especially among girls, have been building for years. The Second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals has agreed to hear a case on maintaining the integrity of female sports. The effort to protect girls and women's interscholastic sports from unfair competition from males claiming to be females received an encouraging signal from the Federal Appeals Court in New York this week. The Second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals issued notice on February 13th, stating that it was vacating or removing a December 2022 decision from a three-judge panel of Second Circuit judges against several female Connecticut high school track athletes and will rehear the case. In the appeal... Several female track athletes are seeking to overturn the Connecticut state policy, allowing so-called transgender women, i.e. males who claim to be females, to compete against high school girls. The notice explains that a poll was taken among all of the active judges on the Second Circuit and that a majority voted to rehear the case titled Seoul versus Connecticut Association of Schools. Starting in 2017, two male athletes began competing in Connecticut girls high school track In just three years, those two males broke 17 girls' track meet records, deprived the uh, girls of more than 85 opportunities to advance to the next level of competition, 
and took 15 women's state track championship titles. The Fed warns of further interest rate increases. According to Reuters, the U.S. Central Bank will need to keep gradually raising interest rates to beat inflation. Dallas Federal Reserve President Lori Logan said on Tuesday, putting investors on notice that borrowing costs may ultimately need to go higher than uh, than it is now. And it's widely expected that will be the case. The Fed last year lifted interest rates further and faster than any time since the 1980s to fight inflation. Fed policymakers have signaled they expect the benchmark overnight interest rate now in the 4.50 percent to 4.75 percent uh, range to need to go at least to 5.1 percent before policy will be sufficiently restrictive to ease price pressures. The Wall Street Journal weighs in. Fed Chair Jerome Powell and several of his colleagues have for the past three months justified continued rate increases by pointing to still tight labor markets, elevated wage pressures and high inflation for labor intensive services. Ford is planning to cut 3,800 jobs in Europe to accommodate EV production. Automaker Ford on Tuesday said it intends to cut 3,800 jobs in Europe over the next three years to adopt a leaner structure as it focuses on electric vehicle production. The company plans to slash 2,300 jobs in production development and administration in Germany, 1,300 in the U.K. and 200 posts elsewhere in Europe. It said it will retain roughly 3,400 engineering roles in Europe focused on vehicle design and development alongside the creation of linked services. The overhaul will not affect Ford's aim to offer an all-electric fleet by 2035. The company expects production of its first European-built electric passenger vehicle to start later this year. NORAD has intercepted four Russian aircrafts over the Alaska Air Defense Identification Zone. These four Russian aircraft were detected and intercepted over the Alaska Air Defense Identification Zone on Monday in what NORAD uh, called a routine incident. Routine. Two F-16 fighter jets were dispatched by NORAD to intercept the Russian aircraft. Since 2007, Russian aircraft have been intercepted in the North American ADIZ six to seven times a year. The command noted that the incident is in no way related to objects shot down over the United States and Canada this month and that the Russian aircraft did not enter the two countries' sovereign airspace. On the incredible Russian casualty rate, according to recent reports, the Ukrainian military has been exacting a heavy toll against the Russian invaders over the last month. United Kingdom officials say Ukrainians are killing some 800 plus Russian troops per day. In one battle fought near the coal mining city of Voleda, some 5,000 Russians were either killed, wounded or captured. The high casualty rate has much to do with the current makeup of Russia's fighting force, with a significant number of fresh recruits who have had limited training being thrown into combat. And according to the U.K. Defense Secretary Ben Wallace, it is now estimated that 97 percent of the whole Russian army is in Ukraine. Over the last several weeks, the Russians have been pushed, uh, pushing hard in an effort to slowly advance and reclaim ground they lost last summer and fall. We haven't actually seen this massing of a single force to punch through in a big offensive, Wallace noted. We've just seen an effort to advance, and that has come at a huge cost to the Russian army. The assessment is that Russian army aims to advance as much as possible before an anticipated Ukrainian uh, counteroffensive in the early spring. Despite the high Russian casualty rate, there's little indication that Vladimir Putin, who of course is not fighting, 
has any plans on ending his effort to conquer Ukraine anytime soon. The New York Times cognitive dissonance in a classic example of do as we say, but not as we do. The New York Times recently announced that the company will buy back some $250 million of its own shares to move the Times editorial board, um, argued back in the summer of 2020, should be made illegal. The Gray Lady's editorial board called for the banning of stock buybacks because it's a way for limiting available stock and therefore boosting a stock's value. American workers have suffered a devastating loss of economic power manifest in their wages, benefits and working conditions. The Times editors wrote, and therefore we need to reverse the legalization of share buybacks. Now, the Times is um, engaging in this buyback because of its desire to game the system and increase the paper's own stock value. The very thing it condemned earlier. Precisely what has happened as the media's outfit, uh, media outfits uh, stock price jumped some 12 percent since the announcement was made on the 8th of February. The truth is engaging in hypocrisy of this type is nothing new for the, uh, the New York Times. The paper has repeatedly railed against the salaries of CEOs skyrocketing while workers have been left behind only for the Times to turn around and give its CEO, Meredith uh, Levian, a significant salary bump from $4.4 million in 2020 to $5.8 million the very next year. Top Biden administration officials briefed senators on both sides of the aisle Tuesday about the three unidentified flying objects shot down over North America. We'll tell you more about it when we come back, but I do need to take a quick break. Also, a reminder coming up in our second hour, the conversation with Rabbi Schneider, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing the Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Top Biden administration officials briefed senators on both sides of the aisle Tuesday about the three unidentified flying objects that were shot down over North America in the last 10 days. Democrat and Republican senators, they listened to officials from the Department of Defense, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, North American Aerospace Defense Command and United States Northern Command surrounding national security concerns after the U.S. officials shot down three objects over Alaska, Michigan and Canada. Lawmakers reportedly left the briefing with more questions than answers, claiming the public should hear much of what officials disclosed in that classified briefing. Ninety five percent of what was discussed in that room today can be made public without compromising security in the country. Senator Marco Rubio said Rubio, who serves on the Senate Intelligence Committee, said the public should know such details immediately. CBS News reported on Tuesday that U.S. intelligence has been tracking the Chinese spy balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic near the Carolinas since it took off from China and that the U.S. military had been tracking it for more than a week before it entered U.S. airspace, much longer than the administration had said. So if this report from CBS is correct, add one more misleading statement to what they told us about this whole story And they had plenty of time to plan a takedown over water, contrary to what they have said. If they had wanted to, the bottom line is that they only reacted after the backlash from the public. Vice President Harris says the Chinese spy flight episode shouldn't impact our relations with China. Okay, well, the Small Business Association won't even try to collect on Paycheck Protection Program loans uh, that are supposed to be paid back, citing equity. Note the word loans in the title. 
Republicans demand answers on the CDC's COVID vaccine database. We'll see if we get them. The World Health Organization has abandoned plans for a crucial second phase of the COVID origins investigation. New York City sent the fingerprints of unvaccinated teachers to the FBI. James Clapper tried to backtrack on calling the Hunter laptop Russian disinformation. The lone Republican Federal Trade Commission commissioner is leaving, claiming the chairwoman has abused her power. Diane Feinstein appears unaware of her retirement announcement made earlier in the day. She made it herself during a reporter gaggle. John Kerry's family's private jet has been sold shortly after accusations of climate hypocrisy and former Biden official non-binary Sam Brenton will appear in court to face uh, bag theft charges. Shake Shack agrees to pay a misgendered employee twenty million, or rather twenty thousand dollars, in a discrimination dispute. A Christian teacher lost her job after refusing to deceive parents on their kids' gender transitions, and it was mutilation. Five D transitioners harmed by medical transition are speaking out in a new documentary. We hear an awful lot about systematic racism in this country, but what about systematic censorship paid for by your tax dollars, no less? Well, that's that's right. The U.S. State Department, via the National Endowment for Democracy and the Global Engagement Center, gave three hundred and thirty thousand dollars to a British media rating outfit called the Global Disinformation Index. That group, in turn, attacked the credibility of conservative news and opinion organizations, yielding decreased reach and revenue. Meanwhile, GDI takes in the uh, cash and wields immense influence, including at the U.N. The Washington Examiner, which broke the story in a series about disinformation, Inc., reports major ad companies are increasingly seeking guidance from purportedly nonpartisan groups claiming to be detecting and fighting online disinformation. And that's translated what I disagree with. Well, these same disinformation monitors are compiling secret website blacklists and feeding them to ad companies with the aim of defunding and shutting down disfavored speech. Of course, the State Department-aligned National Endowment for Democracy denies that the goal or effect is censorship. A spokeswoman, Leslie Ann, insisted NED works to advance rights and freedoms around the world, and our mandate does not involve U.S. democracy, end quote. Instead, she says, our grant was to uh, was for targeted disinformation used by China, Russia, Iran, and other authoritarian regimes. Russian disinformation like Hunter Biden's laptop or the Steele dossier, the laptop was true and the left media suppressed it to help Joe Biden. The dossier was blatantly fabricated and the left media did nothing but breathlessly reported as fact to hurt Donald Trump. Moreover, this whole arrangement is um, outrageously incestuous. Leftists in the State Department pay for leftists at the media watchdog to discredit conservatives so that leftists at ad companies won't pay conservatives anymore and leftists at big tech platforms will suppress conservative speech. No conflict of interest there. Well, the game is heavily rigged in other ways, too. A review of the ratings of GDI, the disinformation risk assessment, gives away that game. Here's a, a bit of an explanation. It lists the 10 lowest risk online news outlets and lo and and behold, with the exception of the Wall Street Journal, they're all left wing hives, taxpayer funded NPR, the Associated Press, the New York Times, Washington Post, ProPublica, Insider, USA, Huffington Post and BuzzFeed 
uh, which targeted um, targets a number of conservatives uh, and originally published the phony steel dossier. Well, the GDI assessment gives points for transparency of funding, editorial standards that prevent disinformation and content that remains free of divisive or demeaning language. That's all laughable, of course, given the track record of these organizations, which we don't have uh, the time to recount here. By contrast, the 10 riskiest online news outlets are all conservatives or libertarian. The New York Post, remember Hunter's laptop, rejected. Real Clear Politics, Reason, The Daily Wire, The Blaze, The Federalist, One America News Network, Newsmax, The American Conservative, and The Spectator. Whereas the GDI Gestapo brazenly credits the aforementioned trustworthy left media sites with showing minimal bias, all 10 conservative sites are hammered for bias and lack of accuracy, by which GDI means expressing opinions with which leftists disagree. NewsGuard, the establishment uh, run by former left-wing journalists, does the exact same thing on its way to finding new and inventive ways to dishonestly and unfairly target conservatives like, uh, well, just conservatives, period. Other um, left-wing gatekeeper organizations are cropping up elsewhere as well. Well, in summary, these organizations hire left-wing former journalists to look at the standards and practices of left media outlets, declare them to be the gold standard, and then rate these organizations highly for having adhered to their own rules. Conservative outlets, which exist in the first place as a counter to mainstream media bias, often doesn't adhere to those same standards and openly declare their bias in order to stand against the left. So the leftist journalists who declare themselves gatekeepers use their purported authority to give conservatives demerits for not adhering to their left wing rules. Hmm. Not surprisingly, the Global Disinformation Index did not reply to several Washington Examiner requests for comment. That's because the censors think they're accountable to no one and essentially are. Rather than honest debate, they use a convoluted web of mafia-like censorship to squelch debate. And again, your tax dollars are helping George Soros, Open Society Foundation, pay for it. It ought to scare everybody in this country, whether or not you embrace a liberal or a conservative point of view, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, that the government is um, is that involved in censoring speech. Missouri Republican uh, Representative Eric Schmidt points out the unholy alliance between government and big tech must be dismantled. Indeed, it must. Finally, just a friendly reminder that this is um, one big reason why uh, we must be vigilant in watching what's passing muster these days. Well, in other news, Michigan State University police and public safety announced early Tuesday morning that the five wounded victims in the shooting on the school's campus Monday night remain at uh, at Sparrow Hospital in critical condition. The shooting inside the academic hall on university grounds also left three people dead. The gunman, a 43-year-old male, is not affiliated with the university. The suspect was eventually found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound off the university campus. The shooting began at 8.18 p.m. inside Berkeley Hall in the northern boundary of the campus, prompting the school to send out a shelter-in-place order at 8.31. After shooting inside Berkeley Hall, the suspect walked to MSU Union and opened fire there. The suspect was eventually found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound off the university campus. You're listening to the Rice Show. We've got news and traffic. Is that right, James? News and traffic. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back. Coming up in the second hour, Rabbi Schneider, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up this hour, a classic interview with Rabbi Schneider, author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Looking forward to that. Well, going to be ridiculous. California's uh, grid faces collapse as leaders push for renewables. And anything we need, Hunter Biden boasted of a very good relationship with the Chinese ambassador. Opening the floodgates, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, who served as ambassador to the United Nations during former President Donald Trump's administration, delivered her candidacy for president today, joining Trump as the only major Republican to date to have launched a White House campaign. And the U.S. Senate will hold a classified briefing on the unidentified object shot down by the military over North America. In fact, they held that meeting earlier today behind closed doors. Shameful, Alabama GOP Senator Tommy Tuberville ripped President Biden for using the VA and Pentagon to promote abortion. What a fraud he is? Well, it's now an infamous headline among conservatives and a sore spot for Politico. But at the time, the October 19th, 2020 story of Natasha uh, Bertrand had its intended bombshell effect with its headline. Hunter Biden's story is Russia disinformation. Dozens of former intel officials say now former director of national intelligence, James Clapper, says Politico deliberately distorted the letter he and others uh, signed on to. Many of them um, open uh, Joe Biden supporters. They signed. Well, critics are wondering why the players in this story are speaking out more than two years later, just as House Republicans are investigating the matter and why they didn't cry foul at their own words being twisted at the time. If James Clapper knew Politico and Natasha Bertrand were lying about what their letter said, why didn't he say so at the time? Journalist Glenn Greenwald asked on Monday. Reality, the CIA, IC, people uh, lying wanted the media to spread this, only not that someone has the has to uh, take the hit is uh, Clapper saying political lie. Well, Clapper's remarks showed up in a lengthy fact check by The Washington Post, Glenn Kessler on Monday, which broke down the letter itself and how it also uh, falsely characterized uh, by then candidate Joe Biden in the closing weeks of the 2020 election. Candidate Biden claimed at the debate with then-President Donald Trump that intelligence officials had declared the laptop laptop reported on by the uh, New York Post was a Russian plan. Another letter signer, former Deputy Director of National Intelligence for Analysis, Thomas Fingar, told Kessler that no one should be surprised by the media or politicians that willfully or unintentionally misconstrue statements. Radical disparities, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg focused on racial disparities in construction during a Monday conference, claiming that construction sites are not employing local workers in minority communities. During the National Association of Counties conference, he urged those in attendance to work with their contractors and community colleges to build a workforce that reflects the community. He was absent from several important meetings, however, that he was, uh, as Transportation Secretary, overseeing. Given a pass, ABC, NBC and CBS evening newscasts have barely scrutinized the president on inflation. A study has found and they're gaslighting me. Another mom is demanding an investigation after her daughter's school allegedly coached her on gender transition. And the winner is 
Ron DeSantis, Florida, beat Gavin Newsom's California again in a new study on the pandemic. States with more severe government in, uh, interventions did not have better health outcomes as measured by COVID deaths adjusted for age and pre-existing conditions and all cause excess mortality than less restrictive states. The Biden administration approves utilizing Medicaid to pay for groceries and nutritional counseling. The administration has started approving state requests to use Medicaid to pay for groceries and nutritional counseling as requests uh, to use the uh, the fund uh, have increased. Policymakers explore whether food as medicine programs can lead to policymakers uh, broad health benefits and trim costs. Well, a growing body of research suggests that addressing food insecurity, which the food stamp program is supposed to address, can improve health as well as deliver savings by reducing medical visits, the need for medication or by helping control serious illness. Critics argue that expanding Medicaid to pay for food is unnecessary and redundant because the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, already helps disadvantaged people buy groceries. Stretching Medicaid's purpose beyond medical services will ultimately grow the federal government and make recipients more dependent on new offerings, they warn. Microsoft Advertising removes labels on conservative outlets, describing them as disinformation to deter ad revenue. Town Hall reports that they were labeled reprehensible and offensive. Washington Examiner writes that Microsoft has removed negative flags for conservative media outlets that have blocked them from reaping key advertising dollars amid the corporation launching an internal review and suspending its uh, subscription to a disinformation tracking group blacklist used to defund disfavored speech. The Microsoft-owned Xander, a major advertising company, previously um, abided by a secret blacklist of conservative news um, companies, uh, by the Global Disinformation Index, a British organization I mentioned earlier. Now, as Microsoft appears to be taking steps to distance itself from GDI, the company has, for the time being, deleted flags such as false, misleading, and reprehensible offensive for right-leaning website uh, websites, plural. Some websites flagged as false and misleading. Uh, what this means is that Xander slashed ad dollars from these websites based on the idea that they're spreading disinformation included in those blacklists were most of Salem Media's sites. Town Hall was uh, among them rated reprehensible and offensive, while others such as Hot Air uh, got uh, tagged as false and misleading without any evidence. Most hilariously, GDI's public report hailed BuzzFeed as one of the most reliable sources, even after its publication of outright disinformation in the Steele dossier, while rating that Liberation Reason magazine, a libertarian reason magazine site, as one of the highest risks for disinformation. That gives you some idea, if you're familiar with those publications, just how distorted it has been. China attempts to intimidate the Philippines after they broker military deal with the U.S., the Philippine Coast Guard has accused the China Coast Guard ship of pointing a military-grade laser at some of its crew, temporarily blinding them aboard a vessel in contested waters off the South China coast last week. The Chinese ship also made dangerous maneuvers in approaching within 150 yards of the Philippine vessel, the Philippine Coast Guard uh, said in a statement. The, Philippine, the Philippines rather, has filed nearly 200 diplomatic protests against China's aggressive actions in the disputed waters in 2022 alone. China claims the South China Sea virtually is in its entirety um, 
is theirs, putting it on a collision course with other claimants. Well, this comes right after the U.S. secures access to four military bases in the Philippines to monitor Chinese aggression in the region. President Biden looks to sell 26 million additional barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Administration plans to sell more crude oil from the um, reserve, fulfilling budget directives mandated years ago that it had sought to stop as oil prices have stabilized. The congressionally mandated sale will amount to 26 million barrels of crude, according to people familiar with the matter. The sale is in accordance with a budget mandate enacted in 2015 for the current fiscal year, according to a spokesperson from the Department of Energy. The Energy Department has sought to stop some of the sales required by 2015 legislation so that it can refill the emergency reserve, which currently is about 371 million barrels. After this latest release, the reserve will dip Uh, to about 345 million barrels. The department had considered canceling the fiscal year 2023 sale of the 26 million barrels after the administration last year sold a record 180 million barrels from the reserve. Coming up later this uh, in the next couple of segments, a conversation with Rabbi Schneider, author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed. So stick around for that. In a survey, Army recruitment is down because of concern for personal safety. Well, if we tell children how America is evil, why would we enlist to defend it? That's one important question. But the U.S. Army says wokeness is not a primary driver of its current recruitment struggles. After new surveys showed that young people are far more concerned about their safety and about putting their lives on hold if they were to join the force. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Rabbi Schneider, the book Messianic Prophecy. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. The biblical and historical story of Yeshua, King Jesus, is bigger, it's grander, and it's more beautiful than many of us have ever imagined. So says my next guest. Who would know as a rabbi? God has been painting a a picture, has been pointing to his son as savior of the world for thousands of years in his word. And yet many of us struggle to connect the dots. Well, I am delighted that our next guest will help us do that with a book that is uh, just released this week. I'm referring to Rabbi Schneider. He is the host of the popular TV and radio broadcast, Discovering the Jewish Jesus. For more than 30 years, Rabbi Schneider has been teaching people how Jesus fulfilled messianic prophecy and completes the unfolding plan of the Messiah. Rabbi Schneider is the author of several books, including Rivers of Revelation, The Lion of Judah, The Book of Revelation Decoded, and Awakening to Messiah. Rabbi Schneider is the host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus Heard Weekdays here on our sister station, KPDQ AM, at 10.30 a.m. and at 9 p.m. weekdays, and is the author of the book we'll be talking about today, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Rabbi Schneider, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to make your acquaintance, Georgine. Boy, you really, uh, you really, you sold me on that introduction. That sounded really fabulous. <laughs> well, it is a fabulous book, and you're a great guest. I'm just delighted to have you with us. I always love to hear the story of how uh, men and women come to faith in Christ, and I think our listeners might assume, based on your uh, your moniker, Rabbi uh, Schneider, that you studied uh, the Hebrew language, that you grew up as a serious Jew, and came to recognize Christ through the Scriptures. But you came through 
through a much more circuitous route, as is the case for many, if not most of us. Can you tell us a little bit about how you as a Jew came to faith in Jesus? Well, it definitely uh, is somewhat unusual in the sense that Jesus actually appeared to me in a vision in the middle of the night in 1978. I knew nothing about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was as far away to me, Georgine, as the man on the moon. We grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood. Uh, You make a a good point in the sense that most Jewish people are secular and thoroughly identify with being Jewish, and it defines their identity. But when it comes to relating their Jewishness to a specific walk with God, most Jewish people, as I indicated, don't view their Jewishness as something that's religious. They view it more in terms of a cultural identity. So this was kind of the environment I grew up in. I actually grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Beechwood, which has been listed as having the second highest concentration Mm -hmm. of Jews anywhere in the world outside of Israel. Not as many numerically as in Los Angeles, New York, but in terms of the closeness and the proximity and and the volume of Jewish people living in isolation, that's kind of the, 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 the type of environment I was raised in. Our schools were actually closed on the Jewish holidays, public schools closed on Jewish holidays because no one would be there. So um, growing up in this environment, Jesus, as I indicated, was completely removed from my universe. I mean, I never thought about Jesus. He never entered my mind. But I was at a point in life where I was lost in searching. I was 20 years old, and I was in the midst of having an identity crisis. I was a really committed athlete in high school, got a small wrestling scholarship to college. But the moment I walked up that wrestling mat, Georgine, after wrestling that last match in high school, even though I knew I was going off to college and had a wrestling scholarship to wrestle there, somehow I realized that wrestling was over in an instant. It was like the world was pulled out from underneath my feet. Because when I looked forward, I saw that I could not just focus on people that wrestled my weight class anymore. That could no longer be my world. I was leaving home, and I was now uh, on, uh, in the process of becoming a responsible adult, adult And it wasn't about wrestling anymore. And so my identity kind of was shattered at that point. And I realized that I was not in control. I used to be in control. On the wrestling mat, I was in control. And my world was people that wrestled my weight class. I was in control there. But now I was going into the real world. I wasn't in control. So I was really struggling. And to make a long story short, uh, being in the state of uh, loss of identity, searching for two years, I went to sleep one night. Again, no one had ever witnessed to me. No one had ever talked to me about Jesus. He he was just, you know, just didn't exist really in terms of my my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. But on a hot August night at 20 years old, Jesus appeared to me in the middle of the night and I came to faith in an instant. That is such a remarkable story, although I'm hearing in places where Christian witness is not available that this is a. Uh, a way that many, particularly in the Middle East, are coming to faith in Christ. So it's not surprising, especially if you know the scriptures, yeah. that God would appear in such a way. At what point did you connect this Jesus that appeared to you in a dream to the Messiah that would have at least been um, fairly familiar, given your Jewish background? Yeah. So what happened was, as I indicated, I was lost and struggling when he came to me in a vision of the night. I was 3.30 in the morning. I got up, went to the restroom, went back to bed. But immediately, hope came into my heart. I knew from that vision that God had just revealed himself to me. I knew enough as an American to know the person on the cross was Jesus. That's all I knew. But I knew that God had just revealed himself to me and showed me that Jesus was the way. So I started telling everybody about this experience. 
And eventually it got back to me that I should go get a New Testament. So I went and got a New Testament, started devouring the Word of God. And at that point, I began slowly to put the pieces together, how Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible. Your decision to become a follower of Jesus, who had revealed himself to you first in a dream and then in his word, was an Mm -hmm. unpopular idea. And it was very costly for you to continue to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yes, it's there's definitely there's definitely been a price to pay. I actually talk about my full experience in my autobiography. It's called Called to Breakthrough. It's available on Amazon. And my parents, for example, Georgine, I hired the most famous programmer in the country at the time. His name is Ted Patrick. They actually flew him into Cleveland, where we were living, from California, along with his two bodyguards. And my dad told me that we were going to go meet somebody about purchasing a restaurant. So we got to the hotel where we were going to be meeting this uh, guy, supposedly about purchasing a restaurant. And instead, what happened is I walked into the room, the doors closed behind me, and the head to programmer looked at me and said, you've been living like a normal person for 20 years, and all of a sudden you're giving all your money away to the church and reading all the, the Bible all the time, and I consider it a personal challenge. I'm going to snap you out of this thing. And so they basically abducted me. They uh, took me from there to California where they had a rehabilitation house set up. And they thought that just by getting me out of the environment of whoever they thought was programming me, that I'd snap out of it. But, of course, there was no one programming me. And, um, you know, uh, it didn't really affect anything in terms of my following Jesus. Well, fast forward 30 years, you have been uh, teaching from the scriptures. You're a broadcaster, both in radio and television. You've been teaching people how Jesus fulfilled Messianic uh, prophecy. Why is messianic prophecy so important? Not just just for someone with a Jewish background, but for mm-hmm. anyone who has an interest in uh, who Jesus is in the broader sense and how uh, he is revealed to us in Scripture. Not just in the New Testament, where Jesus Himself and the disciples made reference to the Old Testament. Uh, but why is it important for us to understand messianic prophecy? Well, good question, Georgine. Thanks for asking. I think there's a number of different reasons. I would say the first reason is because many people identify themselves as Christians. They believe they're Christians. But if push came to shove, if you ask them if Jesus was the only way to heaven, they're mm. not really convinced of that. They're not convinced that their next door neighbor that doesn't believe in Jesus, but is such a good person, they don't believe that their next door neighbor is really going to go to hell for, for not believing in Jesus. And they don't believe that the Muslim or take any other world religion, they look at somebody that practices another world religion that seems to be sincere, that seems to be devout, that seems to be religious, they they can't bring themselves to believe or to say that God would send these people to hell. What people don't understand is when they have a position like that, they don't understand how Jesus fulfilled the Hebrew Bible, especially right now to the point in terms of what the Hebrew Bible reveals to us about blood. You see, People that aren't convinced that Jesus is the only way, they don't understand his uniqueness as a a savior based upon the fact that he alone shed his blood for the guilty. And you look in the Hebrew Bible and you see that the means by which God redeemed Israel was through blood. They applied the blood on their doorpost at Passover. And when judgment moved through Egypt, Israel was passed over judgment. Then God brought them to the, in the wilderness at Sinai, where Moses, of course, went up the mountain, and the Lord gave him the law. Moses came down the mountain, spoke the law to the Jewish people. They said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. They said yes to the covenant, and then Moses sprinkled them with blood. 
And then the Lord gave uh, Moses the Jewish holy days, and the highest of which is called Yom Kippur, which I'm sure our audience has heard of, the Day of mm-hmm. Atonement. It was all about the priest, the high priest, bringing into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat, and sprinkling it on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Lord said, for the life of the flesh, in Leviticus 17:11 is in the blood. And I've given it to you on the altar to make an atonement for your soul. For it's the blood, by reason of its life, that makes atonement. So people that think that Jesus is, you know, a, a good path for me, but they're uncomfortable pushing him on somebody else, they don't understand that it's the blood of Jesus alone that can atone for man's sins. So being rooted in the Hebrew Bible will strengthen people to believe in the exclusive claims of Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Uh, when we return, I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways that we misunderstand the nature of messianic prophecy. In fact, you make the statement that understanding messianic prophecy is often more of an art than a science. And we'll uh, delve into that in just a, a bit when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, talking with Rabbi Schneider. He's the host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, heard on our sister station, KPDQ AM, in the morning at 1030 and at night, 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. <clears throat> and the author of the book we're discussing today, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus here on KPDQ AM and author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, we oftentimes, um, as we're studying the scriptures in the New Testament, uh, we see that um, Jesus is made reference to as the uh, Messiah, but we find it somewhat confusing. What are some of the things that we misunderstand in our effort as uh, followers of Jesus to understand the nature of messianic prophecy? Sometimes a prophetic word doesn't seem prophetic from our 21st century American Gentile eyes. Well, that's a really good question. I was recently at a church and the pastor got up to the pulpit and he said, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, and the chance of him doing that, fulfilling 300 prophecies, is astronomically impossible. In other words, he was making a case that there were 300 predictions in the Hebrew Bible, and that Jesus fulfilled all these 300 predictions like the, in a way that you could scientifically measure that they were fulfilled. For example, if Nostradamus said, you know, in the year 1100, whatever, I'm just making up the dates here, mm-hmm. but in, in the year 1150, there's going to be an earthquake in this part of the world on this date. And then sure enough, there was an earthquake that happened in that part of the world on that date. You could measure that. Wow. He said it. It really happened. So when a pastor gets up and says that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Hebrew Bible and the chances of him doing that are impossible unless he was God. So what they're making is a statement that Jesus fulfilled prophecies that are scientifically measurable. But the reality is sometimes the New Testament writers, when they said that Jesus fulfilled certain Old Testament prophecies, it wasn't in a way that could be scientifically measured. So, for example, in Matthew's Gospel, early and right away in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2, we know the story, Jesus is born, and Herod hears that the Messiah had been born, so he makes an edict to kill the Hebrew infants. And so in light of this, an angel appears to Joseph, Jesus' father, and tells Joseph, take the child, Jesus, into Egypt. 
to spare Jesus' life so that Jesus isn't killed by Herod's army. So Joseph takes Jesus into Egypt, and then eventually Herod dies. Most scholars estimate that Jesus was between two to four years old when Herod died. Then the angel comes back to Joseph and says to Joseph, okay, take the child, take Jesus back into Israel now. And so Matthew records this story, and then he says that the scripture might be fulfilled out of Egypt did I call my son. So that's the scripture that Matthew says is being fulfilled here, out of Egypt did I call my son. Well, there's only one place in the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible, Georgine and our listening audience, where that scripture is used, out of Egypt I call my son. It's in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. So when you go to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, based on reading the fact that Matthew said that the scripture would be fulfilled, you would anticipate that there was going to be some type of predictive prophecy that Hosea was making, like when the Messiah comes, uh, God, he's going to be born in Egypt or something, and God is going to call him out of that bondage. You would anticipate, based on Matthew's use of the word, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that when we go to Hosea, we can see clearly that Hosea is making a prediction. But in reality, when you read Hosea 11:1, Hosea is not making a prediction. He's just recounting Israel's past. That out of Egypt did I call my son. He's just actually talking about the Exodus experience, what the Lord did in times past by delivering Israel out of Egypt. And so then you say, well, how, how is this a fulfillment of Scripture? So the way that Hosea is using that is not that Jesus fulfilled a predictive prophecy there, but that he filled that Scripture or Israel's history up with meaning by repeating in his own life the thing that Israel went through. So even as Israel was in Egypt and then was called out into Israel, so also Yeshua, God's son, spent time in Egypt and was called out of Egypt into Israel, thus filling that scripture and Israel's history up with meaning. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. We're talking with the Rabbi Schneider. He's the author most recently of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. How is the book intended to be read from cover to cover, uh, from one prophetic uh, word in in Old Testament to another? How do you uh, see this book helping us to better understand Messianic prophecy? Well, first of all, let me say that the example that I just gave Mm -hmm. is only one type of messianic prophecy. There also are predictive prophecies. For example, we read in the book of Micah that out of Bethlehem, a ruler will be born whose goings forth are from eternity. So that's a very specific prophecy that the Messiah, the ruler of the world, is going to come out of Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born at. And not only that, but Micah uh, illuminates the fact here that Messiah is not just a man, like rabbinic Judaism believes today, but Messiah is actually God clothed in humanity. He's from eternity. So I want to say that there are different streams of messianic prophecy, and I cover all those streams in the book. So it's not that the book has to be read all at once, but the chapters are short enough. Mm-hmm. That you just read, you know, one chapter at a time, and when you're done with the chapter, which are pretty easy to read, you're done, you pick it up again, you know, the next day or whatever, or you continue on. You know, I'm a believer. I've walked with Jesus for many years. But when I when I look at Messianic prophecy and as you've written it in your book, I am continually um, encouraged and reassured of the validity of the claim that Jesus is the Messiah. And the scriptures are so clear if we if we understand how to read and understand them, which is what your book uh, helps us to do, helps the reader to do. 
Yes, and there's also such beauty for people that really love God and, you know, they, they feel like they haven't learned anything new for a while. When they discover the Jewish roots of their faith and Messianic mm-hmm. prophecy is, is part of that, it's sometimes like they're born again. I mean, we know they're not born again, literally. They're only born again once, but they're like love for the Lord. Their passion yes. for the Lord feels like it did, you know, when they first got saved. So there's a lot of beauty and richness in seeing Jesus in the Hebrew Bible. No, you're so right. There's so many facets of this walk of faith that unless we have our Bibles open, we have resources like this one, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. Uh, we're missing out on the joy of uh, one revelation after the other that's uh, given to us in God's word that reminds us, reassures us, that gives us hope and um, uh, a place to to look up as we walk through the difficulties in this life. So I so appreciate your calling us back to a, a deeper understanding of what God's revealed in his word. Do you have messianic uh, prophetic um, words that um, are most uh, favorable to you that you especially enjoy? Um, well, Isaiah 53 is very, very powerful. Mm. That's probably the most well-known messianic scripture, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go there just simply because many people are familiar with it, but that is, that is definitely like the, the, the foundation of everything. I love the, the, uh, the famous Jewish story that everyone's familiar with, but there's something that most of us have missed. It's the story of Abraham offering up Isaac. You know, if you look at a picture of Abraham offering up Isaac, most of us, if we recall seeing a picture of that illustrated, Isaac is pictured as a young boy there, you know, maybe seven or eight years old. But according to Jewish tradition, Isaac was actually 37 years old when Isaac offered him up. And when you consider the story through that lens, it puts a whole other level Mm. of meaning on the story, that it's not just Abraham that's the hero of the story for being willing to offer up his only son. But Isaac also becomes a hero of the story, a grown man, 37 years old, that's willing to offer up his life in obedience to the Father as a sacrifice. And so, of course, this is a picture of God the Father and his son, Yeshua, who also offered up his life unto his Father in obedience. Um, I, I just love that story. According to Jewish tradition, that act actually opened up the world to the grace of God. According to, to, to Jewish tradition, the grace of God was largely shut off from the entire planet, Georgine, until Abraham offered up Isaac. And similarly, of course, the grace of God has been largely shut off from the world until Yeshua himself offered up his own life into, into obedience to the Father. Well, there's so many um, wonderful uh, ways that uh, Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled pro- uh, the prophecy um, the blood that you made mention of earlier, the multidimensional nature of God, which you mm-hmm. cover in Messianic Prophecy Revealed, the Jewish holidays, which I think many of us view with some mystery. Uh, this book helps us to better understand the connection and the substitutionary sacrificial atonement made on our behalf by Jesus himself. This is a great resource for us to draw nearer to him by having a deeper understanding of and appreciation for what Christ has done for us and what the word teaches us. I so appreciate your writing it to help bring us deeper. Amen. Well, it's available on Amazon, and I think your station is giving away some free copies as well. And it's a blessing uh, to be able to spend some time with you t- today, Georgine, and I appreciate your passion. Absolutely. Just briefly, for listeners who haven't yet heard your program, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, give us a little taste of what they can expect. Well, my mission really is to uh, help people understand how the Old Testament that we call in Hebrew the Tanakh and the New Testament fit together like a hand in a glove and to help people get grounded in their faith of in Jesus. 
You know, Yeshua said in John 4 to the woman at the well, we know we worship for salvation is from the Jews. And the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, first verse of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, begins by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So the very first verse of the New Testament begins by bringing the reader Mm -hmm. back to the Torah and the Old Testament. So God must think it's pretty important for believers to understand their faith in Yeshua from a Hebraic or Jewish perspective, because it grounds us. Absolutely. And once again, that program can be heard weekdays uh, at 1030 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. Monday through Friday on KPDQ AM. And I would highly encourage you to check it out. I think you'll be um, blessed and encouraged. Well, Rabbi Schneider, thank you so much for uh, joining the KPDQ family and for spending time with us here today. Blessings to you, my friend. God bless you, my sister. God bless you as well. Again, Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, heard on our sister station, KPDQ AM. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, it's pretty evident that education is important for the advancement and betterment of the general public. The American people have greatly benefited from a population that's enjoyed education within the bounds of a free and moral society. However, the Judeo-Christian pillars that were the framework and justification for our country's founding have been slowly outlawed and undermined. The collapse of our institutions has been, well, hearing, bearing its poisonous fruits for decades. The public school is a reflection of the ideals of our culture and the political winds that are guiding our country's ship. Everything is racist, according to the modern zeitgeist, Time magazine, uh, time management, rather, hard work, perfectionism, meritocracy and other uh, metrics in place for success are now considered white attributes uh, and should be dismantled. This type of thinking, besides uh, being deeply anti-white racism, is also anti-thinking that seeks to dismantle excellence and opposition and undervalues and underrates what others are capable of doing in terms of performance. This type of ideology can only profit while those under its thumb are unwilling or unable to think for themselves. Education curriculum in the public schools is constantly being evaluated on whether or not it's racist. And it's uh, at this point of hypersensitivity that learning is adversely affected. Education is no longer a valued privilege. It has been reduced to a cheapened right. But not everyone is suited for America's type of public school education. And frankly, no one is suited for some of the education our public schools dole out today. The cultures, um, the cultural framing of our uh, uh, for many kids is that they have to go to school and school is a prison. The framing uh, should be you get to go to school and it's a privilege for you uh, to be there, a privilege that could be taken away and that could give you tremendous opportunities. There are some kids who would do better and uh, be more successful if another Uh, After mastering the basic math and reading, they go into a vocational training school of some sort um, that is in their interest and allows them to excel. Trades uh, such as plumber, carpenter, electrician, and other important jobs don't require a college degree for success. These are also skills that keep society moving, and the jobs pay well. They uh, they aren't options that seem to get considered much, or if they are, they've been as uh, lesser choice. School choice in general would be a great boon for uh, lots of kids, but it probably needs to be uh, needs to go both ways. Kids should be granted the opportunity to go to schools that would benefit them. But schools should also have the means to say no to a student who doesn't uh, treat coming to school like a privilege. This type of give and take 
would help empower students who want desperately to do well. Families and educators, however, uh, policies and politics uh, get in the way of all of that. Well, American education has been captured by the politics and ideology of uh, the left. This happened because the teachers unions have formed an unholy alliance with political class. Teachers unions will enforce the will of the uh, political class as long as they pay them and let the unions keep their power. The ideology has drifted further and further to the left, and the progressives have instilled an ideology rather that benefits from a population that can no longer think, argue, or reason. The radical um, ideology also benefits from uh, disengaging the children from their parents and their community. Church and religion in general is now bad. Parents are the enemy. The ideology is the authority. The authority wielded by the teachers' unions, activists, and indifferent teachers and parents Uh, are its um, missionaries and the students its casualties. Yet, when their education theory fails, they blame the conservatives, the religious, the whites, or the parents. Baltimore is a perfect example of problems in the schools and culture acting in in concert to fail students spectacularly. Recent test results for Baltimore school kids have demonstrated that not a single student was on grade level for their math scores. Baltimore is... uh, decidedly left city. It has uh, been since the 1960s. It's been led mostly um, by uh, African-Americans since the mid-1980s, and yet they struggle the most in that school district. Baltimore schools should be the poster child for educational theory for the Democrats. Uh, That only produces more suffering and ignorance, um, and that seems to be what the test scores are telling us. Now, all of that said, education is a complicated and politically fraught issue. Public education is failing, and it's our kids who are suffering. But one can only hope as we approach the next um, election cycle that perhaps it will become an issue that uh, merits the kind of attention that it deserves, and we'll see some changes in the not-too-distant future. One can only hope. Well, tomorrow we're looking forward to hosting a radiothon. Holt International will be our guest, and we're going to focus our attention on Mongolia. I love the idea that we can travel, if you will, to Mongolia and learn about what the children uh, there, what their lives are like, what they lack. In this case, they live on garbage, garbage heaps. Uh, But there is opportunity for education, and that means and makes all the difference for these kids. We'll talk about that tomorrow as um, the program director and uh, David Harms will join me in studio to talk about just that. I want to thank James Blend for producing and engineering today's program. Thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. And I hope you will plan to join us tomorrow as we uh, talk about kids who need our help. You might want to just uh, whisper a prayer and ask, what might I do? And be open to um, hearing the call. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.